0: Only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel
1: you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Poyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in
0: front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. He has won his fourth Indianapolis 500.
2: Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hi there, how are you? It is the white flag that flies on Beyond the Bricks in May of 2021. We thank those of you who have tuned in and made it fun for us to do this program each and every night. My name is Jake Query. Mike Thompson joins me on this show where we talk about really all avenues and aspects of the Indianapolis 500 of yesteryear, of recent year, of pop culture, of music, of television. We've kind of covered the gauntlet. And it has been fun, so I thank you for allowing us the opportunity to do exactly that. Also want to say, Brad Huber, who has been running the board for us throughout the course of the month, Brad has a new podcast coming out. As a matter of fact, he gets that underway in just about a week or so. And Brad's podcast is, I believe, called, Brad, what's the name of it again? It will be...
0: The Racing Hub's Pit Report with me in Indianapolis, the home of IndyCar and NHRA, and Chris Wilner, my good friend, in the home of NASCAR in Charlotte.
2: And then on July 3rd, you will be hosting Indiana Sports Talk, correct?
0: Correct. Me and Eddie Garrison, and we'll be talking a lot of racing and baseball with IndyCar at Mid-Ohio, NASCAR at Road America, and... Indians baseball as well,
2: so it should be fun. Well, Brad, I don't have a job, so I can come in and run the board for you sometime
0: in the future as the career continues to skyrocket. Although you'll you'll uh, you'll probably be in mid-Ohio
2: that weekend anyway. I probably will be, uh, as a matter of fact. But uh, nonetheless, happy for you in terms of that, and we wish you the best of luck with that. Uh, Good evening to you folks. Mike is here as well. Mike, it's exciting because now we can sense it, we can smell it. Tomorrow being Carb Day, I know that it's a little bit different Carb Day, but... If it stays dry and we're not as worried about tomorrow because the real action is Sunday, which looks absolutely breathtaking, but we're not going to mention that because we want to jinx nothing. But nonetheless, Mike, you always kind of pinch yourself, don't you? Because it now finally we can see it being upon us.
3: Well, first of all, I want to say uh, Mike is here as well as not the intro I was expecting tonight. Um because you know we let Brad talk about his new podcast. No, I'm just kidding. I, I'm happy for Brad's new podcast. I hope everyone gives it a listen. Brad is a really good guy, and he's really been a big part of this show, even bigger than I think uh, people really understand. So I'm really happy for Brad's podcast. So I have to I have to kind of kid him a little bit. But to your point, I you know Friday is a Friday as we get closer to Carb Day and. That's just when I start to really rev up and get excited because you know the, the whole weekend really kicks off for me with the with the memorabilia show. That's something I you know is really close to my heart, and and you know that's that's when I start getting those pangs though of it's almost over. You know, it's almost over for another year when I get to the memorabilia show, and and you know we're we're getting ready to wind everything down, and that's when it, it, it starts to go. Oh, well, the race is tomorrow, so we're all excited about that, but but then it's it's over for another year, so. It's a little bit of happy and sad for me at the same time on on the weekend, obviously.
2: Um, Before we begin with tonight's subject matter, Mike, one of the things I thought would be fun tonight is occasionally I'm going to continue to ask you little tidbits about drivers that are in the field of the 105th Indy 500 and see if you can come up with who I'm talking about. Some of them are things that you would know. If you follow racing, some of them are things that there would be no way that you would know it, and that's what makes it fun. Does that make sense? um okay yeah that
3: could be very fun
2: just for example okay in his 500 career this driver has gained a total of 31 positions during the race which is the highest number among all starters since 2017 and he has done so in just two career starts
3: so this person in his 500 career has gained the most positions in two career starts is what you're saying
2: No, he has gained of anybody. If everybody tallied up how many positions they have improved in totality since 2017, he has the best number, and he's done it in just two starts.
3: Oh, okay. Um, Since 2017. Correct. Uh, I want to say Alexander Rossi, but because he had that big year where he came from the back, I would think that would help him dramatically. Um, so I would, I'm, I'm going to guess Alexander Rossi and be wrong. Probably.
2: Uh, Brad Huber again, trumps you tonight, Mike. He just said the correct wow. answer. It is Santino Ferrucci oh. Santino Ferrucci. Um, okay. You want another one here real quick? Yeah. See how well, much fun you this give is. Them, maybe you should give them to Brad.
3: Actually. <laughs> Brad got that <laughs> that's one.
2: Right. That's what we'll do. Uh, since this is the penultimate version of the program, uh, it's been good working with you, Mike. Uh, yeah, okay.
3: Exactly. I, hey, thanks. Thanks for having me
2: on. Uh, this driver, actually, aside from running a race car, is part owner of a coffee house in his hometown and home country. Obviously, in his home country, if it's in his hometown. But because I said home country, that would lead you to believe that it is not in the United States. He owns a coffee house. That is correct. Hmm. I'll give you a huge hint if you'd like it. Oh, I would love a hint. I assume his initials are a favorite of media member Jenna Fryer.
3: Media member Jenna Fryer. I
2: would assume his initials are the favorite of media member Jenna Fryer. Hmm. For those that are unfamiliar with Jenna Fryer, Jenna Fryer's media outlet is which, Mike? Oh, AP. She's the AP reporter. That is correct. So, Alex Pillow? Alex Pillow is indeed the correct answer. All right, we're going to go with one Alex, more wait, here. Wait,
3: Alex, Alex, well, let's rewind for a second. Alex Pillow owns a coffee house.
2: Yes. Wow. What have I
3: been doing with my life that Alex Pillow is, <laughs> what, he's like 24 years old and he owns a coffee house?
2: I'm just telling you. You know. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This next one's a great one. Wait until the end before you wager your guess. You ready? Okay. This driver is married to not only his essentially high school sweetheart, but he met his wife at the age of six when his father was buying art at the art gallery owned by his future wife's father when she was five. They met and played together in the art gallery and then noticed that they were in each other's kindergarten class some months later and have been together ever since and are now married.
3: Oh, I would have honestly no idea. Unfortunately, I do not keep up with the wives uh, as much as I probably should, right? Uh, for these type of questions, but I do not have much in the way of wife trivia answers available to me.
2: Okay. Well, what about the driver? But, the driver. Okay. The driver's father is extremely wealthy, and was an art driver's, collector, a rare and, a rare art and collector. highly valuable art collector that went into an art gallery. And when he was buying a piece of artwork at the art gallery, he saw a little girl playing and said, oh, that must be your daughter. And the art gallery owner said yes. And so he said, well, I'd like to talk to you about some art, and I have my son with me. And so they met, and then Hmm. months later, the son went to kindergarten and said, oh, you're the little girl that I met at the art gallery. They became sweethearts, and they are now married. A wonderful tale. I'm going to throw out a guess of Max Chilton. Max Chilton is, in fact, the correct answer. Oh, so got, look, I get the Unbelievable. Nice. Unbelievable. Well done. Max Chilton, of course, native of? Uh, the United the, Kingdom. That is correct. He is a British driver. And that actually happens to be the home country of a guy that we're going to talk about tonight, both his accomplishments in the car and his accomplishments in just becoming somebody that fans – Loved for many different reasons in terms of his personality. And I'm talking about a guy who had as much success at Indianapolis really beyond the two moments that he is most known. But this might be the moment where he most burst on the scene at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway.
0: For much of the late stages of this race, it has been the Dan and Danica show, but it will be... Dan Weldon winning the 89th Indy 500 as an Englishman will roll into victory lane at the world's greatest race course for the first time in four decades.
2: Mike King on the call with the IMS Radio Network. Dan Weldon won the race back in 2005, and, of course, that was the year. Mike, you got to give Dan Weldon, I think, A lot of credit, as well as Vitor Mira, because they were pretty good sports about Danica mania, as it was known, because that was the year when Danica, you know, there was so much attention towards Danica Patrick, rightly so. But for Weldon to go on and get the win and then kind of have fun with it and wear the T-shirt, if you remember, like actually won the race, I think was the T-shirt that he wore. Yeah,
3: actually won the Indy 500. That was was great. You're you're absolutely right that, you know, Vitor wore a shirt that said Danica's teammate. And uh, they wore those to the autograph session the next week. And they were good sports about it and had a little bit of fun. And I think there was a little bit of, you know, kind of tweaking people at the same time, because if you'll remember the sports illustrated cover, I mean, there was a large picture of Danica and then up in the upper corner, it's kind of in small letters says Dan Weldon wins the Indy 500. And so I think Dan was, you know, making a little bit of a point about it, but also having some fun and being a good sport about it at the same time.
2: And, you know, There was so much, and let's go back and talking about Dan Weldon to the beginning, Mike, and I don't mean his upbringing. As much as when he first came into IndyCar, I recall vividly late in one of the race season years looking at the box score after the race, and I'm going to have to look up what year it was and what race, but I'm looking at the box score, and do you recall, Mike, off the top of your head, do you remember what team it was that Dan Weldon began his career with which team? Yeah. In IndyCar was with Panther Racing. Correct. And I'm like, who is Dan Weldon? Because he basically took a one-off at the end of the year, right, in one of those seasons? He he drove two races for Panther at the end of 2002,
3: driving, uh, believe it or not, a Pennzoil-sponsored car. And he, he had two starts at the end of 2002. And so,
2: you know, it was, wait a minute, who is Dan Weldon? And then... He kind of burst onto the scene at Indianapolis because if you recall in his rookie year, Mike, do you remember what happened to Dan Weldon in his rookie race?
3: I vividly remember this because he he had an accident where he got airborne, and the reason well, – obviously it was a spectacular um, accident that he had, but one of the reasons I vividly remember this is uh, I remember years later being in Dan's presence when someone handed him a picture of the car – airborne and asked him to sign it. And if you knew Dan, Dan was wonderful with fans. And I, I have a story I'd like to share later on about Dan with fans that I that I really like to share and, and tell you what kind of person Dan Weldon was. But Dan was handed this photograph of his car airborne. And he looked at the person and said, you you want me to sign this? And the person said, you know, yeah. And, and Dan again, like it was always great with fans. And he said, No, you really want me to sign this? And, and Dan wasn't real happy about signing this particular picture and kind of let the person know, like, this is something that I don't really particularly care to remember. And he signed it and, and went about his business. But, but uh, he basically made it well pretty well known that he didn't really want to be signing that picture. And so I, I imagine there's probably not too many signed photographs of that picture of him uh, airborne. Because he he definitely did not want to be signed in that particular picture.
2: And you know, to be truthful, Mike, and I don't—I I mean this with the utmost respect to the sensitivity of it—but there is a horrible irony and foreshadow in that in his hesitation there, right? To the point where, oh, if yeah. you had that photo signed, I don't know now that you would even display it, right? Because of no, the, no, does that make yeah, sense?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, uh, it was in, it was probably in poor taste to ask him in the first place and and that's why again one of the reasons i brought up the other night when jr signs the picture of his crash car sitting on you know coming across the yard of bricks i mean it's you know that's a moment where you know that that you know that's a traumatic experience that dan went through in his rookie year and you know he didn't want to remember that particular uh aspect of that race and so you know he you know he was very pleasant about it with the fan you know, he didn't yell at anybody. I mean, he couldn't have, you know, Dan was the nicest guy in the world. I mean, just very, very friendly person, but he did make it kind of known that, hey, you know, basically don't bring me this kind of picture again. And, you know, I think he got his point across, but but Dan, like I say, later on, I'd like to share a story about Dan to tell you what kind of guy Dan Weldon was.
2: Dan Weldon was born in Emberton, England in June of 1978. And as we had mentioned, he ran for Panther Racing in 2002 before joining on with what was then Andretti Green for a three-year run with Andretti Green. And Weldon came over, and in the beginning, there was a level of, I think, kind of a wild streak about Dan Weldon that endeared him to a lot of people because he was absolutely a fun guy. There is no question about that. But I don't know that we knew as much about Weldon in terms of who he was prior to arriving IndyCar, He was somebody that was a multi-sport athlete in high school. There is a fabulous video on YouTube of him during his go-karting era when he was a younger, well, a teenager, an early teen, kind of a running-on-the-balls-of-his-feet-level-skipping guy. He looked like Ralph Macchio in The Karate Kid as he ran kind of awkwardly in a go karting competition, he was in at about the age of 12. And the other participants in the competition that you can watch on YouTube are Jensen Button and Justin or Justin Wilson, as the announcer calls him in that video. And then afterwards, Weldon wins the go karting championships and is awarded a trophy and goes up and is such an excited kid. And you watch him and you think to yourself, wow, it's amazing to think that what I'm watching there is a kid that is on the cusp, you know, halfway towards becoming an Indianapolis 500 champion. And he came to Indianapolis, as I had mentioned, with Andretti Green, and then it was in 2004 he was the series runner-up. In 2005, everything really started to come together for him, capped by, at the beginning of the year, what we just played for you in terms of him winning the Indianapolis 500-mile race. But, of course, that was the year that Danica Patrick and Danica Mania came along. And Danica Patrick was such a dynamic personality when she came here. And there was so much attention towards her. And I do know, Mike, I understand why. But the reality is that when Danica Patrick took the lead late in the race in 2005, people got so excited over it. I mean, there is an element of the fact that it was a a fuel strategy move that got her towards the front. But nonetheless... There is no denying the fact that there was an energy with Danica Patrick when she came to IMS, Mike.
3: Oh, absolutely, and it was, it was a exciting situation when she took the lead. Uh, the fans came to their feet. I mean, it was a massive ovation and a, and a roar when she came to take the lead. And you know, she she then needed to to lean out the car a little bit to to have a chance to to make it to the end. And, and that's why she didn't end up holding on to the lead or second or third and ended up finishing fourth that race. A lot of people, it's a little bit of a misnomer because people think, you know, in her rookie year that that was her best career finish in the 500, and it wasn't. She actually finished third later on in her career, and, and fourth was her rookie year finish. So, but, uh, you know, late in the race when she took the lead, I mean, it was it was definitely a roar.
2: Interesting in the, when you talk about the fact that she finished third, what we will talk about later is that was also a year where the second-place finisher is perhaps overlooked, and it was none other than Dan Weldon in 2009 in that year. But in 2005, on lap 193, Danica Patrick was still in the lead, but Dan Weldon was looking for the lead, and it happened on lap 194.
0: Amberton, English, Dan Weldon. He's going to move to the inside of the Roscoe, Illinois native. of their side side-by-side. Here. Weldon will try to take the lead into one. And he will get the job done. Weldon put down to the white line. Patrick's gonna play catch up right behind her. Vitor Mira, one, two,
2: three, and two. Vitor Mira would actually go on to become runner up of that race. Brian Herda was third. Danica Patrick was fourth. But Dan Weldon was so much more, as we know, than just a two time Indianapolis 500 winner. He was suddenly a guy that transitioned from being the life of the party to a family man. He is a guy that was always willing and able to do what he could to increase awareness of the sport that he loved, including when it meant early wake-up calls to talk about his taste for fashion. Those are some of the things that we're going to get into in discussing the greatness that was Daniel Clive Weldon, and we will do it when we return to Beyond the Bricks. KitchenAid
1: saves energy.
0: Money, time, and energy, so save your
4: This is Donald Davidson for the new KitchenAid Energy Saver 4 Dishwasher. I want to invite you to come over to Wheels Furniture and Appliances at 5320 West Washington. I'll be there after qualifications from 7 o'clock until 8 o'clock on Saturday night, May 10th come in and I'll try and answer any questions you have about the 500 and the people at Wills will be there to answer any questions you have about the KitchenAid Energy Saver 4 dishwashers they'll tell you how you can turn down your hot water heater and save 10% or more on your total cost of heating water and now's the time to buy because they're offering special trade-in allowances come over and see us Saturday evening May 10th to Wills Furniture and Appliances 5320 West Washington I'll be there from 7 to 8
0: be sure to visit Wills in Indianapolis that's Wills Furniture and Appliances at 5320 West Washington Street.
2: I need to make everybody aware of this fact in case you're wondering because it's a very important public service announcement from me. That's a taped commercial, and Donald is not actually going to be at Wills to answer your Indy 500 and have them answer your dishwashing needs. That actually was from the early 80s. Mike, that's one of the great, great vintage moments that we've had on the show.
3: I knew you'd like that one. That's actually from 1980. Uh, that's Donald. Yes, Donald from, That's a talk of gasoline alley spot, and I I dug that up for you tonight. I thought you might enjoy that one. So I that's one of my personal favorite Donald spots. Fantastic. So I we would play that tonight.
2: Fantastic. Jake Query here along with Mike Thompson. We're talking about Dan Weldon and the fact that Dan Weldon, of course, wins in 2005, and it wasn't long after that that Dan Weldon, of course, transitioned from Andretti Green Racing, then to driving for Chip Ganassi, and Mike, I recall especially the heading into the 06 Indy 500. And Dan Weldon was just, it was like in the immediacy of his driving for Chip Ganassi, I thought to myself, this guy is going to win every single race that exists. I mean, they were so fast and he was so in control. And that includes, you know, coming into the month of May, it just felt like Weldon. He was the defending winner, but, I mean, he was one of those cars that you thought, okay, this is his day. He led five times for 148 laps in the 06 Indy 500. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he had a tire puncture or a tire issue that brought him in and kind of got him off sequence. He still managed to finish fourth. But it seemed like at that moment, even though he had hit the scene and was an 05 Indy 500 winner, Mike, by oh six, it really felt like everything was starting to come together for him.
3: Yeah, a lot of people may not recall that he led those 148 laps in 2006. We think of all the great finish with, with Sam and uh, Hornish and Marco Andretti and Michael Andretti being in the mix. But, but Weldon really dominated that race until the tire problem you mentioned. And, again, Weldon's one of those rare guys who led over 140 laps in a 500 and didn't actually win that race. I mean, he – he was the moral winner, if if there was one in that race, because he he simply dominated. And you're right, when he went to Target Chip Ganassi Racing, you you thought that was a partnership that was going to definitely produce championships and and a lot of race wins. And he won a couple times in in 2006 and a couple times in 2007, I think. But it it just never really produced as many wins, I think, as we are expecting and, and didn't produce a championship.
2: And so Weldon during that time when he he moves over to Chip Ganassi, one of the difficulties for him in leaving Andretti Green was the fact that you had this quartet that a lot's been made of, Dario Franchitti and Brian Herda, and Tony Kanan and Dan Weldon. And he's leaving that group And we're talking about the group that was constantly keeping each other loose and constantly running jokes with one another and competing with one another for certain. Brian Herta was the master tactician at setting up the race cars for those guys. Tony Kanaan was the master in running clean races and bringing the car home and running seasons with being on the lead lap for every lap of the season itself in the championship, which was amazing. And Dario was, of course, just hitting his stride, becoming – an Indy 500 winner in '07, and Weldon moves away from that to Ganassi. But that's not to say the fun wasn't had when it came to those other guys. Here's Dario Franchitti, and talking about all of the fun that took place during those years.
4: Yeah, that was that was fun. You know, that wasn't the word to describe it. Dan, Tony, Brian, myself. Um, I guess very different people, sort of different age groups almost, but we 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 had a we had a good time. And we were—I think we had a good time as well. We were successful, you know. We had the Honda engine at the time was was very strong, and the team was was firing on all cylinders. And we we yeah, what what wasn't to what wasn't to love? It was, uh, you know, there's times we had fallen out on track between the four of us. And we 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 kind of we fixed that pretty quickly when it when it happened. Um, and it was it was a somewhat easier to keep control when there's four people in a team. Who are all close if one steps out of line, the other three can kind of corral them back in and that happened on a number of occasions but it was um it was great you know, i've I've been so lucky to have teammates like like those guys you know like scott dixon um you know paul tracy it, it you know the, the, every every teammate i've had i've I've been friends with, and that was um Not not everybody can say that, so I I definitely feel lucky to have that, that, that situation.
2: During that time, Weldon was undoubtedly, for those that were around it, he was somebody that was not afraid to go out and hit up the clubs. He was known for, you know, beautiful girlfriends and, you know, kind of a Mike, to be honest with you rightly so and understandably so because of his age and the fact that he was not a married man yet you know dan weldon kind of was leading a playboy lifestyle right he was the quintessential rock star race car driver
3: he was definitely a rock star race car driver at the time absolutely um he was he was just starting as you said with 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 chip ganassi but i want to tell you something about something that happened in 2006 real quick if i may so in 2006 my my late fiance and i went we drove from Columbus, Ohio to Jackson, Michigan for an autograph session they had there. They had it used to have an event called Jackson uh, Race Days. And I don't know if you ever went to that, Jake, uh, at all, but they had a, a, an event in downtown Jackson, Michigan where they, the drivers would all sign autographs. And, and my late fiance, Jen, she wanted to meet Dan Weldon. Dan Weldon was her favorite driver. So we, we, we drove from Columbus, Ohio to Jackson, Michigan in 2006 in July. And th- the day we drove up there, it was like 88 degrees with 100 percent humidity i mean it couldn't have been any more sweltering and they had this event in downtown and it's just nothing but asphalt everywhere so it's just radiating off and i mean it was really hot so we got in line and we happened to be the second and third people in line to get to meet dan and the person who was first in line uh was a younger girl she's first in line And we're waiting, and then Dan comes to his table, and and the drivers all come out to their table, and they're getting ready to, to start signing autographs. And the girl that was right in front of us in line, she all of a sudden, I mean, face first passes out right directly in front of us. And the first person, believe it or not, who got to this girl to help her wasn't even us. We were standing directly behind her. I'm not kidding you. The first person came racing from behind the table was Dan Weldon. Dan Weldon got up. He must have seen her t- starting to topple. He got up from behind the table, ran to her aid, got her cold water, made sure to start fanning her to make sure she was okay, and and took care of this this young younger girl and made sure she was okay. And then he said to her when she, he, he knew she was okay, he said, "Hey, for the for the whole duration of the autograph session, you come and sit with me so I can make sure you're all right." So he led her to the seat where he was signing autographs. And so we kind of joked, we, we yelled over to Dan, we're like, well, is all you have to do is faint and then you get to sit with you for the autograph session? And he got a big laugh about it and was joking with us about it. And and he, the best part about it was the young girl was wearing an Elio Castroneves t-shirt. He, How about he didn't that? Mind, yeah, he didn't mind at all that she wasn't wearing a Dan Weldon shirt. He, he didn't care. This was a race fan who was in trouble at that second and he ran over to help her. And so, so when we got up there at the head of the line, because now we were first and second. So Jen asked, Hey, we, do you mind coming taking a picture? Cause you know, basically we drove up from Columbus to see, he comes right out and takes a picture with her. And it's one of my favorite memories because um, Jen passed away a few months right after that. She passed away at Christmas in 2006. And the biggest smile I think she ever had in a picture wasn't with me. It was with Dan Weldon. So, One of my favorite all time pictures is her and Dan Weldon smiling on this really sweltering July day, uh, the two of them together at this at this race event. And so I'll just I'll never forget that. I'll never forget Dan Weldon's kindness that day. Um, It just meant a lot to me. And it sticks with me because, you know, he you know, here's this big celebrity in Indianapolis 500 winner. And his I mean, he sprung into action like he was a, a medic. You know, I mean, I've never seen anything like that.
2: Weldon was always aware of fans, and in particular, he was obviously somebody who was very kind-hearted. Barry Wanser's young son, when he was ill and Weldon was driving for Chip Ganassi, you know, Weldon first met him through that capacity, actually, but it was later when Weldon was driving for Panther that he still would go and visit Barry Wanser's son in the hospital. And I always kind of had this... Piece about the fact that I, I envisioned that when Dan Weldon ultimately was fatally injured, that it was Barry Wanser's son that would have been the first to greet him there when, when he ended up, you know, in a better place after that accident in Las Vegas. But Weldon underwent, as great a driver as he was, kind of a personal evolution and grounding, and it came, and I'll never forget it. Um, In about 2007, because at that time I was working in this building at MS Communications at WIBC and Weldon came in once and he had with him uh, a PR assistant who he had hired away that I believe had worked for Jim Beam, Susie, that ultimately became his wife. And I made a wisecrack of some sort about him going out on Mass Ave or, you know, was he going to go out and, and try to meet a girlfriend or whatever and he said... Hey, man, you can't say that around my employee. And she was like off in the distance anyway. But I could tell then I thought, wait a minute. There seems to be like he really seems to be following the lead of what she is telling him to do in a good way and the advice that she is offering. And all of a sudden now, Weldon went from somebody who absolutely was living life the way he wanted to live it to living life for two people. And it was very apparent. And it wasn't long after that that Dan Weldon was very outwardly proud of the fact that he was off the market and that he had found somebody that was keeping him grounded and keeping him focused. And the match between he and his wife Susie was very apparent to anybody who spent time around the paddock area within IndyCar and Weldon While that change may have taken place in him in terms of away from the racetrack, when it came to the racetrack itself and the things that that he was doing, like Mike had mentioned, in helping out with fans, in doing what he could, the one thing about Dan Weldon that I think people know but I want to make very clear is how openly willing he was at any time to do what needed to be done if he thought that it helped out anybody who was either a fan of racing or a promoter of racing. Now, a great example of this that I'm going to play for you folks, and I just think it's fun because it gives you an idea of Weldon outside the race car. Back in, and I believe it was 2007, I worked within this building at MS Communications at WIBC doing the morning show. And when you do a morning radio show, I will openly admit to the fact that one of the challenges you have – is that you go on the air. I remember I went on the air every morning at 4.30 in the morning and was done at 9. And so when 7 a.m. rolls around when you're doing a morning radio show, 7 a.m. to you feels like noon, and you forget that the rest of the world is just waking up. And so you've been at work for two and a half, three hours, and you forget that that's still early to other people. Terry Stacy, who I did the show with at that time, and I were in discussion somehow about the price of blue jeans. There was an article in the news about a pair of blue jeans. This was during the time that William Rast was sponsoring Dan Weldon, and Rockin' Republic was big, and Seven was a big jeans brand. And expensive designer jeans were all the rage. And so we got into a discussion about the price of jeans. And I said, well, you know who probably has spent $500 on jeans? Dan Weldon, because he's all about pizzazz and style and substance and everything else. And so we discussed it, and I said, I I guarantee you, so we we had this friendly debate about how much Dan Weldon had spent on jeans. And I said, let me call him right now. I'll call him and ask him. Well, I'm completely forgetting about the fact that it's like 6.15 in the morning. So I call and leave Dan Weldon a voicemail and say, hey, when you get a chance, when you get up, call in the radio show. Now, this is a guy that was like two years removed from winning the Indianapolis 500 and leading 150 laps in other races and and everything else. And like 45 minutes later, literally as the sun is coming up outside, Dan McGowan, who's our producer, gets in my ear and says, Weldon's on line one. And so if you want to know the kind of good sport that Dan Weldon was, and I'm only playing this because I think people will enjoy hearing The groggy first thing in the morning, having fun with it and rolling with it. Willingness to help at all costs, even when it means sleep deprivation. And it's interesting because you'll hear him mention something that at the time was breaking news about the IndyCar schedule. Here's Dan Weldon before the sun even came up. All right, you're not going to believe it here, folks. We left a voicemail yesterday for Steve Young. Nothing happened. We left a voicemail a couple weeks ago, I think, for Michael Irvin. Nothing happened. We leave a voicemail for Dan Weldon. Former Indy 500 champion, jean shopping guru, extraordinaire, and shoe collector. And what happens? But like 10 minutes later, and I actually feel bad because clearly we woke him up. Dan calls in. Dan Weldon, good morning to you. How are you? I wish I could say I
1: was somewhat awake, but I'm really not.
2: <laughs> well, I apologize for that. Uh, two questions for you. First off, Terry Stacy I just Terry, got Terry, in the door. Terry's very excited. We were talking about jeans earlier and I said, I'll bet Dan Weldon has spent over a hundred bucks on jeans before. What's the most you've ever spent on a pair of blue jeans?
1: Listen, I knew Terry would be a big part of this too. That's that's not right, Terry. I'll remember this. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, I'm, he says that you have all the, you know, you, you always look good when you come in with the nice shoes and the expensive watches. And I would imagine you spend a little money at the, at, when it comes to the clothes. I think,
1: excuse me, you yeah, have to excuse me on in please, because it is early. Um, most <laughs> expensive. Okay. So what do you want to know the most expensive pair of jeans I've ever bought?
2: Well, because I was looking through a magazine, and some of the jeans that they're offering up for, for women are like $400. And I thought
0: that's outrageous to spend four hundred dollars on a pair of blue jeans.
1: Yeah, I, I would have to say I think around. I, I think, it, but Buddy Rice is going to kill me for this because it was in his town. <laughs> um, I think it was about four hundred and ninety-five pounds.
2: Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness! On oh no, for a pair of men's jeans.
1: Yeah, but actually, I think um, in in England, because of the pound, that would probably be the one, and it would probably be about. Uh, I think it was about 370 pounds. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh boy. Sakes. They must be very precious to you. Well, you got to look good, right? <laughs> well, of course. Now, re-
2: now real quick, before we let you go back to sleep, Dan, yeah. uh, Terry was just saying that she thought you were coming in town for some deal at Mark Dismore's, but wanted to know if you're going to be here or not.
1: Yeah, actually it's, uh, I'm, I'm coming into town. I'm, uh, r- right now I'm just going to jump in the shower because we're testing it. Alabama, um, today for the, for the IndyCar series. It's, uh, it's a pretty, pretty big test. It's a, it's a new venue for us. So um, I think there's about seven or eight cars that will be testing uh, with me today. So that that will be uh, fun. But then I'm flying back on the team plane because of uh, the big go-kart races. It's, it's the Indy 500 of go-kart races.
2: I think that's um, cool.
1: And it will be at Newcastle. I think uh, practice and qualifying is Saturday, and the race is Sunday. Okay.
2: All right, Ricky Rudd won that last year. We expect you to win this year, Dan. Hey, let you get back to sleep. We'll let you uh, get in the shower, whatever it is got to do, and put on your $400 jeans for your testing. But much appreciate the phone call back, my man. Godspeed to you today, and uh, look forward to seeing you over the weekend.
1: I have to say, I've spent more on black pants. This shit makes me wear black pants. So I've spent more on black pants. <laughs> okay.
2: What's the most you spent on a pair of black pants?
1: Uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you. Will rip me too much on that one. All
2: right, fair okay. enough. Fair enough. Get right. get your coffee and get going. We'll talk to you later Thank on. Thank you. Thanks for the wake up, cool guy. See, See ya. All right, 05 Indy 500 champ, Dan welding <laughs> Weldon was always willing to have a joke and talk, especially when it came to talking about the fashion that so much accompanied him over the course of his racing career. But he wasn't done winning Indy 500s. We'll take a look at that, and we'll talk about the legacy left behind by one of the greats at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, whose greatness goes beyond just simply being a two-time winner when you look at the overall record that he left at Indianapolis. That conversation about Dan Weldon next on Beyond the Bricks. So much has talked about Mike Thompson of the 2011 Indianapolis 500 because of the fact that J.R. Hildebrand, of course, driving, and that's the ultimate irony, driving for Panther Racing, in which Dan Weldon, at that point, truth be told, had kind of a, an increasingly icy relationship, and I think a lot of people think that Hildebrand, you know, had this, if you will domination, I'll say, for lack of a better term, but that the race was, you know, oh, Hildebrand, you know, had, had led the race. Well, no, it came down to, not unlike 2016, kind of a fuel a fuel race, you know what I mean? And literally, you're watching it and you're wondering who can make it to the end, and it was just kind of like watching dominoes fall to figure out who was going to be the last domino standing. And for that reason, Mike, J.R. Hildebrand, looked like he was on his way to a win, but it's not as though... He had had it in the bag for 15 laps, so to speak.
3: no, at um, that year, Dario and Scott Dixon it looked like they were in the best position, but neither of them actually, and this is rare to say when you're talking about Scott Dixon, but neither of them actually were able to hit their their fuel number that year. so where where Dario had done that in the past and, and won the race and and managed you know everything managed to work out the way he needed it to 2011. Um, Scott and Dario, I mean, combined, they led about 125 laps of that race and it ended up, they weren't a factor at the end because of the fact that at the end, they just didn't hit their fuel number the way they needed to. So, uh, there was a rotating group. If you'll recall, a Bertrand Baguette was up there at the end and several other people were up there at the end and had opportunities to, to lead at the end. But then JR took over and led the last, uh, he led seven laps, I think at the end before, um, you know, the incident in turn four.
2: Uh, You are correct about Bertrand Baguette. Danica Patrick was leading for nine laps. She had to pit for fuel. Bertrand Baguette took over the lead. Caution never came out for him. He had to pit for fuel. J.R. Hildebrand takes over the lead. The one thing that I recall in this was the confusion of, well, who's running in second? Because what if he runs out of fuel? What if he runs out of fuel? And I remember in my head thinking to myself, that year I was in turn two for IndyCar Radio. And I remember thinking, just don't say that he is winning. Don't say that he's winning, because I have—I really thought he was going to run out of fuel. Dan Weldon was full rich on fuel, as we call it. And there wasn't anything standing in his way. He was in that throttle as J.R. Hildebrand was going towards the win. Here's how it sounded, the final lap in 2011.
0: Here we- the final lap. Across the line, J.R. Hildebrand will see the white flag. Jerry Baker, final lap. Can a rookie win it? His best finish of the year, 10th. That's going to improve dramatically, Jake, as he comes to turn two. He's
2: hoping that win can push him through. J.R. Hildebrand trying to conserve fuel, trying to do the unthinkable, winning his first Indianapolis 500. He's already in three. J.R. Hildebrand with a huge strong offense the
0: Here he comes, the National Guard machine with J.R. Hildebrand down along the white line. He is sputtering slow, and he hits the wall. He hits the wall, coming out of four. Will he have enough to cross the yard of bricks? Here comes, here comes J.R. Hildebrand. He will cross in front of the flag stand with the checkered flag waving. The right side of the car destroyed. He finishes the race with the damaged race car. Who will win? Who is the winner Well done. Of It is Weldon. Dan Weldon has won the race as Weldon gets past J.R. Hildebrand as Hildebrand hits the wall coming off of turn number four.
2: And so Dan Weldon becomes a two time winner. Mike, there are a lot of things that you can look at about that race and and wonder how things might have been different had J.R. Hildebrand not hit the wall. And, of course, we know what would happen six months later when Dan Weldon would be in Las Vegas and the fate that would intervene. There is, and I mean all of this with the utmost respect to J.R. Hildebrand, who has never been anything but 100% class about the way he has handled that situation. But there is this odd, almost fate retroactively where you look at it and say, it is gut-wrenching for J.R. Hildebrand, but yet – In the end, it turned out that Dan Weldon, it was his destiny to win that race and become a two-time winner.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And so many unusual things, as you mentioned, happened. I mean, the guys who were running at the end in the first four positions, I think, only led a combined 14 laps of that race. And one of the stats that blows me away is you mentioned Dan ran for Panther Racing the two years before that. He finished second both those races, if you recall. He finished second, second, and first in his last three Indianapolis 500s. And yet he only led about 200 yards of those three races combined, which is one of the stats that just blows me away. I mean, he had a second, a second, and a first. And the only time he led was those last few few yards after JR hit the wall and, and he took over the lead, which just blows me away. That, to me, is one of those facts that's uh, that I had to look up two or three times to make sure that that was accurate.
2: And if you think about the three years before, he had a twenty-second in two thousand seven. But if you think about 0-6, a third, a first, and a fourth, and it was the fourth where he was the most dominant of the previous two,
3: right? Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was the car to beat in two thousand six. So I mean, yeah, a stellar, a stellar record Dan Weldon put up at at the Indianapolis five hundred. There's no question about that.
2: In Las Vegas to conclude the two thousand eleven season. Dan Weldon started at the back of the field, of course, in that race, going for the $5 million prize should he win. And we know about what happened where there was really just nowhere for him to go. And he was fatally injured. And I was covering that race for IndyCar Radio, And the story that I've always, always gone back to is once it was known that it was a fatal injury and they did the lap salute for him, could have heard a pin drop in the Las Vegas Motor Speedway, understandably so. You could see from all the competitors' standpoints, there's the natural epiphany and emotion that comes with drivers of the severity of the moment when they see one of their competitors you know, crossing that ultimate risk. But there was concern beyond just the fact of their own mortality they were seeing. It was the fact that it was a beloved member of their paddock. And as I was on the race broadcast on Pit Road, I will never forget. As you exited Pit Road of the Las Vegas Motor Speedway, there was a fence and there was an opening in the fence that crossed you from the Pit Road into the garage area. And there was a woman who was a security worker for the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And I presume probably one that you know was hired on a race-by-race, need-by-need basis. And she was sitting all by her lonesome. And she was sitting there, and the salute had been completed. They had asked us not to interview drivers as they got out of their cars, which I completely understood and felt was appropriate. So the responsibilities were essentially done, and I was leaving to go back to the paddock area to return my gear and basically get back to Indianapolis. And the woman that worked security was sitting... And she looked up at me, and she had her eyes were completely welled with tears, and I always thought this was the most fitting, appropriate, and quite truthfully the most beautiful testament to who Dan Weldon was, albeit under the circumstances. But she looked up at me, and all she said to me, almost like she needed to tell someone, was she looked up at me and through her own tears looked at me and said. He's the only one that said hi to me this morning. And I've never, ever forgotten that. And that is absolutely what embodies Dan Weldon or embodied Dan Weldon. But I say embodies because just like they say at the end of the Ballad of Jimmy Bryan, so long as the engines roar, so too lives and roars the spirit of the man known as Lionheart, Dan Weldon, the two-time winner of the Indianapolis 500 mile race. Uh, final 20 seconds. Mike, carb day tomorrow. Are you going to be out at the speedway or are you going to make sure that it's dry before you go?
3: I'm going to probably make sure it's dry, but I do want to say one thing. I hope everybody remembers Dan Weldon on Saturday. Saturday is the anniversary of the fact of the, the day that he won both of his races. So he loved Indianapolis. He loved the fans. So remember Dan Weldon on Saturday.
2: Eight o'clock tomorrow night. It's near messes of the 90s beyond the bricks.